Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Controller Report Podcast. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today to talk to you about a very specific video game, rather than just a random mishmash of games that I've been playing recently. I'm here to talk to you about Gun Gage, but I have a, a guest this week. I have Rowan from the Platform and Pitfalls podcast. Hello. And how are you doing today, Rowan? I'm doing really well. I had a day off and I could just relax, play some Gun Gage, and get some <laughs> things done. Well, cool. I am glad I had a day off as well, but I wasted it all. <laughs> it's, it's not going... I mean, you're going to talk about Gun Gage. That's not a wasted day. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Gun Gage. I mean, I, I put out a video about this recently. So if you are are familiar with that video, you kind of have a, a basic idea of Gun Gage as is. But I kind of wanted to uh, uh, go over it again just in case, you know, you are, are coming in fresh uh, without the Gun Gage uh, knowledge behind you. Um, so Gun Gage is basically a, a third person shooter for the original PlayStation it's from 1999, developed by Konami Computer, Computer Entertainment Tokyo. And, um, and kind of how I described it in the video was, was typically more in the, in the context of like a, a third person shooter. But it sort of feels a bit more like a rail sort of shooter, really. Like you're always holding that button down as opposed to conserving ammo and things. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that, that that comparison. We actually had a comparison to that in, in the comments section on the video, and I kind of had forgotten that originally when I saw this game, it reminded me a lot of a game called PNO3, if you're familiar with that, on the GameCube. No, I haven't. That was one of the Capcom 5, was it not? Yeah, yeah, it was one of the Capcom 5, and it's uh, basically, it, it plays actually pretty similarly. So if you, so Gun Gage, um, you know, being on the PlayStation, uh you know, dual analog stick support was available on the on the PlayStation, but uh, Gun Gage does not make use of it, as far as I can tell, at least. Uh, the dual analog or the the dual shock support is only for the Rumble, as far as I can tell. And uh, it's it's got kind of a, a tanky feel to it um, in some ways. It's not really tank controls per se, but uh, basically use the D pad to kind of move and rotate your character, and then use the triggers to kind of strafe. Um, it's pretty similar to like a Mega Man Legends or something along those lines. I feel like, but a lot smoother. Uh, is it smoother I, than Mega Man Legends? I I think maybe it's just the feeling of being able to shoot while moving that makes True. it feel smoother. Like Mega Man Legends is fast, but it sort of feel to me it always felt a bit like unnatural and jerky. Hmm, interesting. I would say that I felt I feel like Mega Man Legends is actually more responsive in a lot of ways. It's probably more responsive. But yeah, I do think I feel I do feel like that. Uh, Gun Gage. It's like when you get moving, it's everything's fine, but. <laughs> But until you get moving, it does feel like very sluggish. Like it feels like you have like a rev up every time you start trying to move. Yeah. Um, it takes a while to go from zero to two. Yeah. But uh, the PNO3 comparison, um, that game is actually uh, a very forward focusing game. So it's like it's a lot of it's like a corridor shooter almost. Mm -hmm. And so it, it has a very similar control scheme where it's like you use the analog stick and that kind of uh you know, pivots your character as well as move it back and forth rather than using like the the right analog stick to to change the camera. Um, and then you use L and R to kind of like do these little little side flips and things like that. So so to me, Gun Gage in a lot of ways feels kind of like the prototype PNO3, but I had kind of forgot about that when I did the video. <laughs> that was like something I wanted to talk about, but I really didn't actually touch on it, unfortunately. But uh but I thought that was an interesting comparison. When you say like it feels like PNO3 I was sort of playing it and feeling like this feels, and it's not really very fair, but like the way that like 
your emphasis on not on the aiming of the shooting, but just on the mm-hmm. locking on. It felt a little bit like Recore to me, even though like they're very, very different games. Like I couldn't oh, help but yeah, think yeah. that there's that like not lineage, but there's something there that links them to. And maybe it's also they both look very good too. Yeah, I didn't I actually completely forgot about Recore and that actually Most people you're, do. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to play it at some point. I just don't have a well, it's on PC now, but I didn't have an Xbox One when it came out. But but yeah, that that game is um yeah, it's it's an interesting approach because it's like a it's like here this is a, here's the shooter and it kind of looks like a third person shooter and in some ways feels like a third person shooter, but because all the aiming is automatic, um, it's more about how you move. Yeah, it ends up being really a platformer. Yeah, yeah, and so like a lot of gun gauge is kind of like moving around enemy shots and stuff. I feel like. Yeah. Um, um, the the biggest problem with gun gauge, <laughs> in my opinion, though, is that. You know, unlike PNO three, where it's like a it's like a series of corridors that you can everything's just kind of in front of you. Gun gauge like has a world and these like arenas that you're in, and things just kind of sneak up on you. <laughs> and draw distance is not quite good enough. And every now and then there are some cool moments where shots are being fired at you just out of the draw distance, but it sort of like adds to a bit of mysteriousness and, and level of threat. But most of the time, it's like, why did I get hit by this? And it's not always good at queuing this, like, especially with, um, there are several characters, and the first character you're likely to unlock, um, Seta? Setsa? Steer? Steer. Steer Harkibus? It's hard to remember everyone's name in this <laughs> game, because they're all very, they're all very is probably enough of a word for them. Very anime names. <laughs> um, yeah. The only reason I remember them is because they say them at the start. The guy who did Richter Belmont's voice acting says it at the start, actually. <laughs> yeah, and also he does the voices in the Japanese version, too. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's all the English, all the dialogue and things, the vo- all the voice acted dialogue is all in English in the Japanese version. And most of the menus are in mostly English, too. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, actually, I got the PAL release, but the uh, the manual was like entirely in a different language. Um, um, well, I had but... the original PAL release in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. It's just that some games, the PAL releases had the manual localized for each region um, okay. in yeah. this one manual. And in some cases, only the localized version for a single region was in the manual. So gotcha. So yeah, some games have all languages. Some games just have the language relevant to the games re- to the game specifically released country, Mm-mm. because those all language manuals were like really big, and I assume that people were like, actually, let's sell smaller ones that <laughs> don't have all the languages. Yeah, I was surprised that it was in default English as well in that case, since the manual was completely devoid of English. So I thought it would default to a different language or something along the lines. So that's interesting that the Japanese version also is just basically English. And um, the when you start the game, you get this like page of text that sort of (laughs) isn't very clear about what it's saying, like the dark moon, blah, 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 blah. That's also in English in the Japanese version. Oh, just all the text is also in English too. It's just that text is in English. The like little bits of dialogue <laughs> that you get in the game world, mm-hmm. they are in Japanese. That is the only Japanese text, basically. Interesting. Well, I I know that, like in Japan, you know, there, there's typically an understanding of English. Does do you think? And I, if I haven't really mentioned it earlier, but Rowan, you're you're in Japan. Do you think? Um, 
that typically people would have that level of understanding of English to properly read that easily? Or does that seem like a, a odd choice even for English in a Japanese game? So there are two halves to this. So for arcade games particularly, they mm-hmm. tend to have like a lot of the menu interface and things in English, lots of UI elements in English. And so since Gun Gage is going for this arcade feel to fit that aesthetic, that's probably part of why a lot of the menus are in English. Um, as for like that page of text, I think it's because the point of that page of text is to look cool and mysterious <laughs> and not to be interpreted kind of like for a very different game if you ever played um undernight in birth or melty yes, blood yes. their screens have so much english on them that is like not really supposed to be comprehended and if you try comprehending it you won't <laughs> it's completely nonsensical task I, yeah. i've taken a picture of those screens before and like sat there and read the loading loading screens and stuff and it's like i none of this means anything <laughs> yeah so. and so i think a lot of that like story veneer is sort of really supposed to just like be vague vaguely there but not really supposed to be interpreted which i guess gotcha. probably a good summary of gun gauge like it presents itself at least in the combination of manual and game is like oh this is like a very forward-thinking game we've got like this story you can experience it from four different perspectives mm-hmm. and each character goes through levels in a different order to uncover different like parts of the plot is how at least the english manual represented it in australia gotcha and the game doesn't follow through on that promise very well <laughs> it it tries a little bit there's definitely like bits of dialogue but there's also like after you beat a boss there's basically text that pops up on screen that's like, oh, no, the military was here. I need to go to the next place kind of thing. But it's uh, not very clear. Like, Seer Harkibus, I think it doesn't really communi- communicate that she's a member of the Resistance until, like, the fifth mission. And then she's like, oh, I have to go back and tell the Resistance about this. And so I was like, oh, apparently she's with the Resistance, but I'm already halfway through her story at that point. Well, you found her on a wanted poster. That should have been obvious she was part of the Resistance. Oh, I forgot about that part of it. So so you are right. That was communicated ahead of time. Not very um... well. And (laughs) if you had to play on a CRTV at the PlayStation's resolution, you wouldn't have probably been able to read that it was a wanted poster. Yeah. I think that is an interesting way to unlock the characters in this game, though. Like, every, you only start with Wakel Skade uh, as your first character, but um, from there you have to find the wanted poster for Steer, um, the empty capsule for the the science experiment guy, uh, Devon Fang, and then I forget for Card. Do you remember how you had to unlock Card? You have to fight him as well. I think it's if you just finish um, Wolkie's storyline. Um, you unlock him through that, but I don't recall. I never cared for him, so I never bothered to unlock him in all my years of owning it. Oh, it's he's a. I think he's probably one of the more interesting characters because he has like four different weapon types um, that you can switch between all at once. Because everyone, kind of how this game works, is that everyone has like a default fire that's typically like a rapid fire or a burst shot thing, but they have like special skills. So uh, Wakel has like a stun shot. 
um steer has like these weird i don't even know what they are really <laughs> they're she's like a spread shot kind of thing and then like a is it a shield or so like she's a got laser nova and mirror I haven't worked out and, what Mira actually does. I was trying very hard to get it to do something useful because yeah. I assumed it was defensive, but it never like reflected bullets, which is what I thought a mirror move should do. Yeah, that's what I would expect as well. Nova is just burst damage around you and laser is a two part one button to put targets on characters, much like in, say, Panzer Dragon and oh, one okay, button yeah, to right. release the shots. I forgot about that one. Yeah, I was using that one for the motorcycles because the motorcycles were really hard to hit. Yes, but yeah, Card has just like four default weapons that you can switch between. So he's like a laser, a rocket launcher that like heat seeking rockers, grenades, and also has like a flamethrower. In addition, he has like the special bullet, which mm-hmm. is just a giant like supernova attack. Um, so he's like really bulky and slow, um, but but his like weapon output is just so diverse even compared to all the other characters i I think he's i was thinking about it today when i was playing it i was like i think he might be alongside steer my favorite character so i would recommend it is there anything particular that you don't didn't like about card that made you not want to play i just don't like his look (laughs) like it's very it's just very boring aesthetics He's basically Raul from Fist of the North Star, so <laughs> big, huge guy with like a like a is it a crew cut? Is what it's yeah, called. more or less. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You should, you should give him a shot. Don't let his uh, looks deceive you. <laughs> but I can definitely understand that. It does feel like an older, like he feels like an older '80s anime character versus everyone else feeling more like a like a mid '90s, late '90s kind of character design. And I do um, like old 80s anime. Like, I mm-hmm. love, like, incredibly buffy hair, but he doesn't have that. So what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very uh, shallow, but- my reasons for not having bothered with him. But yeah, so every, but on that note, like, everyone plays very differently while mm-hmm. still, like, being part of the same system. But what I sort of liked is that they don't commit too hard to this, but everyone has a slightly different UI. And like ways yeah, of measuring yeah. certain things, like um, what's her name? Um, Sata Steer Harkavis. Steer Steer. She has her gauge goes up in like very small amounts. Um, like it goes up to like a hundred and nineteen or something is the maximum mm-hmm. Tesla drive. I Tesla think drive, is, yeah, yeah. Um, that she can store. Or as Walk has, I'm sorry, I'm getting all these names wrong every time. Um, Walt has um, <laughs> special bullets that he collects that mm-hmm. are like in very discrete units. Mm-hmm. And I assume the other characters have like, well, Khan, you were saying, just has like four different weapons. Yeah, but they have no ammo. So like they're like the yeah. ma- all the other main weapons where it's just infinite. But his special bullet, you get one of those. So you can carry, I think, two or three of them at a time. Yeah. Um, but that's also his limited. only consumable resource. He also <laughs> gets cigarettes for health. <laughs> Cigarettes so, for health. Yes. Uh, yeah, and so they make an effort to make the UIs distinct, and like, um, Sata has no Steer has yeah. um, a radar mini map, and mm-hmm. also the ability to produce a compass on demand. Which is so strange, because by the time you play her, like you've already played through the game with Wakel, so it's not like you don't know what the levels are. <laughs> to be fair, to unlock her, you only need to see the poster, and then you can like die and lose. Like you can. Unlock her in like 10 seconds. So she could be your first playthrough. True. I didn't think about that either. 
Yeah. No. Um, but she probably is your second playthrough. That is a fair enough yeah. assumption. Um, yeah, she has this compass. And I think that sort of lends to the, it seems more ambitious than it ends up being. Like, you've got this plot that sounds like they're going to tell four different parts. Mm-hmm. They're going through levels in different orders from different locations in them. So, yeah, maybe at one point this game was going to be a bit bigger. Like, there's the planes level. Yes, the the it's like the green yeah with like a bunch of bridges and stuff yeah yeah like that zone feels like it may have supposed to have been a bit bigger mm. um mm. so maybe it was sort of for those sorts of levels but yeah ultimately it doesn't get used you don't need it at all literally mm-hmm. but it suggests something about what was going to be in this game which is interesting because like I feel like that's at conflict almost with like the point we made earlier with um the the fact that it feels kind of like a a weird semi open on rail shooter because it is very much like hey you just kind of want to get from one point to another and like the shooting mechanics kind of feel built for that almost yeah um and so it doesn't feel like a game that like wants you to explore that much but yeah you still have that compass there and you're just like there have to have been something here somebody made this at some point for a reason <laughs> so so it is it is curious i actually found out about gun gauge um because somebody mislisted it under um the credits for uh konami computer entertainment kobe who worked on castlevania 64 so i thought mm. it was actually the same team that, or same studio that worked on castlevania 64 so i, I kind of came into this game a little bit thinking that it was going to be at least like the, the setup sounds very similar, like Castlevania 64 before they cut down the number of characters that were in it um, was originally going to also be, hey, these are these four characters with four different stories. Uh, they have their own unique levels and things like that. So I think I kind of came in like seeing these kind of, you know, bullet points on gun gauge and being like, this is going to be like a weird Castlevania 64 shooter kind of thing. <laughs> um, I came in very differently. I just found it in a secondhand store. For $15 when I was about 17 or so. And this would be in like the the late 2000s. So mm-hmm. like, well, like PS3s, everyone already has them. But I was very content with my PS1 still. It just had great box art. And I was like, I have the money. I have this game that looks cool. I'm going to buy it. It's by Konami. <laughs> it's probably fine-ish. And it's fine-ish, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, which actually, I'm kind of curious because uh, if, if it's not... Apparent, uh, I don't remember if I said this earlier, but this game didn't come out in, in North America. Uh, it was only Japan and Europe, um, as far as in Australia, sorry. <laughs> well, Australia is part of Europe uh, distribution at that point. Yeah, yeah. It's only until mid-DS era, this is completely used to everyone, it's only like mid-DS era that Australia like got its own like separate region for release dates mm-hmm. on like um, websites and things. Yeah, did you guys typically have day and date with Europe, or was it just kind of a vague... We were usually day and date with Europe, so we usually got whatever the UK got, specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a sort of weird point in that like PS3, DS sort of era where we would sometimes get things before Europe would, like we'd get them closer to the US date than the European date, because we didn't need Mm -hmm. the extra localizations and things. Yeah. But more or less, we're just Europe for the purpose of everything, because we're pal and use those tv sets yeah yeah the 50 hertz right it's yes pal so uh, good old 50 hertz slow down it, which made it kind of a nightmare trying to play this game for me <laughs> yeah this <laughs> is my so... first time playing it at um 30 uh, at 60 hertz so i played a japanese mm-hmm. copy that i managed to source while here cool 
Yeah, I was actually wondering, I haven't got a chance to compare them, but I was wondering, because I know some PAL games will just run slower because Most. of that 50 hertz difference. I don't know if that's the case with Gun Gauge or not yet. I thought maybe that was because I saw someone running on an emulator and it looked like it was moving faster, but I think that might have just been because they were running on an emulator <laughs> versus, versus you know, an actual copy. Uh, it's like I was looking to import a Japanese copy at one point, but it was like $30 or something like that. And I was like, eh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about getting Japanese code. I think mostly it's similar, but yeah, it's got slowdown. Very few companies optimized for PAL releases. Like the first mm-hmm. PAL optimized Square Enix game was Final Fantasy XII, I think. That's late. That's 2006, I think, right? Yeah. No, Kingdom Hearts. Sorry. I think it was Kingdom Hearts. So we got so FF10 was the last slowed down Final Fantasy. Gotcha. Okay. I assume 11 probably ran standard because it was MMO. So they had to run at the same speed. Probably. Um, yeah. So it, it was running, it would run running at 50, but it would be timed correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess the, the kind of question I want to ask was like, uh, since gun gauge did come out in Australia, did you ever see like any kind of coverage of this back then? Or no, what did I found it in a secondhand store in like, yeah, 10 years like six seven years later it's like this looks cool i've never heard of it but i'm gonna give it a whirl because i was very into like obscure japanese games at the time too yeah and yeah so i brought it home and just gave it a good tinker and it's like this is pretty cool i never really i realized when playing it for this that i never really got terribly far like i'd always like boot it up play a few levels and be like that was a fun time and turn it off and put it down and away it's it's actually kind of interesting because like it, it does kind of present itself as a shooter in a lot of ways. Like it is like a very score based thing, um, and the game's only like an hour long. Yeah, each um, playthrough is about it's an hour. Pretty short. Yeah, I, I'd say in total it's like four hours to go through it entirely. Um, one one interesting thing I noticed though, because um, I was looking at the credits for the game, um, this kind of contributes to the the idea that this thing is more in line with like a shooter or something. The director of the game is actually uh, let me pull up the name here. Uh, is listed as Ueda Axe Hideo. And he's actually uh, the lead programmer of a game called Axe Lake. So the Axe in the middle of his name, as far as I can tell, is to reference Axe Lake because he always lists himself as Axe Lake Ueda in all his games mm-hmm. or Handsome Ueda in some of them as well. Um, but yeah, he worked on a lot of like ports of like shooters and stuff. Um, and this, as far as I can tell, this was his like first director or game where he worked as a director. And so it, it would, I could definitely see that blood coming through like all his work from the, the previous years working on like Proteus and uh, Gradius and stuff like that. Um, and as, as far as PS1 shooters go, this like feels really good. Like it compared to nowadays, it's like out of date control wise and things. But for the era, yeah. I think it's like very on point because even though it doesn't use like the analog sticks and things, most games of the era didn't out of fear of like leaving out customers. Yeah, because the, the DualShock was added later in the PS1's life, so it wasn't... Yeah, I had like, friends who were common. angry about Ape Escape. They couldn't play it unless yeah, they bought another yeah. newfangled controller. I know people who are angry about Ape Escape not being on the PlayStation 1 Classic because there's no DualShock controllers, so... <laughs> for that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like, even even then, though, like, even in 1999, um, you know, you can find that old review of, I think it's, like, Alien versus Predator on PlayStation. And it oh, was yeah, like it that used your analog that nobody understood. 
Yeah, and like all the reviews were like, this is an awful control scheme. Why would you do this? <laughs> you know, but it kind of became the standard um, for what it was uh, or for what it became. So I think even if you had that dual analog support and gun gauge, you know, it doesn't probably doesn't really fit the, the control style of the game in general. Like, I mean, if you want to focus on moving, uh, you know, you'd have to focus more on precision and things like that for shooting and and ultimately it probably would have made a worse game um, unless they just stuck with the whole lock on system. But you could use the analog stick to kind of like adjust your camera as you go. But generally, I think the, the tools are there for you to to like aiming in front of you isn't really that much of a problem. No, in general, you get locked onto the things you want to get locked onto. There are a few like environmental things that you sometimes have to shoot that you have to aim at. But mm-hmm. anything combat related is usually pretty much if you're in the vaguely right space to want to sh- to want to be shooting it, you'll be shooting it. And there's not a lot of depth in the combat encounters. Like there's not a lot of I want to attack this thing instead of this thing. So the fact that you can't yeah. choose your lock on doesn't really matter mostly yeah and it's really just kind of about as we said earlier kind of like evading enemies a lot of the times um you just kind of get surrounded by things and sometimes you're gonna hit hit stuff hit from stuff off screen but it's you just kind of kind of accept it as oh no this happened (laughs) but often if you just like vaguely keep moving you tend to just like coincidentally avoid a lot of things Yeah, yeah and i don't know if that says something about like it was designed that way so that shots off screen were like less likely to hit, which I doubt in this particular instance, or if it's like, no, that's just like luck and the bullets like always based on your position X time ago or something. Yeah. But, it's actually kind of interesting. Cause like if you, if you do have like a bunch of enemies in front of you shooting, the bullets also just kind of have a weird spread out nature to them. Yeah. Um, it, it's not really like a straight line at you. And like, depending on the enemies, there's actually like different speeds to a lot of the bullets too. So you just kind of get this like weird wall of projectiles coming at you. And it's there's there's plenty of time for you to avoid it because they all move super slow. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's very generous about like not throwing you in the deep end with its um, projectiles and things, which I think is really nice. Like a lot of shooters, a lot of old style games didn't really transition well in this era. So it's like they got that like it's a slower version of Contra, of course, but like. It you can feel that lineage of Konami's things like that. Uh, the Contra comparison, hmm, that's interesting. Like, like, is it like a two D Contra that you're talking about, or or is it like a three D one? Yeah, like as in as in like the two D Contras, like it's a like part of their like shooting game legacy. Like okay, it feels like gotcha. a natural like if you're going to do it on PS on the PS one, this is what it'll be like. I mean, there were Contra games on the PlayStation one, but. I don't think they were very fondly remembered. Yeah, I was the reason why I asked because like after NES, kind of Contra's a black box for me. I don't really know anything about it. <laughs> it pretty much was I played the original Contra, and then at some point I heard about all the bad ones that happened in between, and then Contra Four came out, and everyone was happy about yeah. that. So I wasn't sure if there was like a 3D uh, Contra or something along those lines. There is, um, but I'm not think I don't think it's a good thing that there was a 3D Contra. I kind of like that kind of experimentation, though. Like, I'm a oh, I'm yeah. super excited to eventually one day play Mega Man X7 uh, as much as everybody hates it. But, like, I like seeing people kind of go outside of their boundaries, especially with, like, early 3D games in general. I, it's just like, a, and I kind of, and I know this is probably me being, like, an old man, <laughs> um, but I kind of like that era of, like, 
late 90s and early 2000s, I feel like people tried to do too much with games a lot of the times. And they ended up kind of failing in a lot of in a lot of ways. I feel like Gun Gage is kind of one of those games, too, where it's like they they create this plan and then they try to put it in place. But then it's like, oh, no, this game like the console limitations don't allow us to do this or like budget limitations. Like we're going to make like with Castlevania 64, we're going to make four characters. Then, oh, no, we can't actually do this. We have to cut it down by half. <laughs> but like you get these weird little remnants like Steer's Compass and stuff like that, where it's like you can kind of see this vague idea of what kind of game they wanted to make um and it doesn't always come together but you just kind of see like what they were planning and and it kind of makes it exciting to to learn more about those games kind of afterwards as well when you like start reading interviews and things like that and seeing like what their initial thoughts were and how they wanted to approach the game yeah and i what i love about this here is like the the rules aren't set for what 3d gameplay is supposed to be like Mm -hmm. and i think that's really exciting especially like I don't like shooters in general. Like if this had a modern shooting control scheme, I probably wouldn't actually like it as much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like all those, like, yeah, it's a very distinct game from it for its era. And it's very emblematic of the era in a lot of ways. And like, it has mm-hmm. ambitions, but it sort of pairs them back to like, be content to just be a good thing, but you can still see all that. Yeah. Left there. And I love particularly of this era, like, the monster designs like it's very um panzer dragoon almost mm, mm. Like, i couldn't help but think in the very first stage you end up playing like a lot of the creatures in there remind me of like they don't look the same but like they sort of have the same like general construction of a lot of the panzer dragon sort of monsters i felt and i feel like like an extension of that um have you ever watched uh, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind? Yes. I feel like Panzer Dragoon the... kind of pulls a lot from that. It pulls a lot from that. And there's specifically in the second level with the main character, um, you start, like, there's all these, like, ohm-like creatures <laughs> exactly, around the yes. tower. <laughs> and they're, like, vi- they're not hiding it. They're more, like, human. They tr- they've got more of a skull-like feature set to them. Mm-hmm. But they're very much, like, these are the ohm from Nausicaa. Yeah. <laughs> and you're gonna pull reference from anything that is like a thing to reference but yeah it's a great style and i think it really suits this 32-bit era the 32-bit era limitations Mm -hmm. um one thing i kind of was curious because i I really i put this in my review and i I don't really know if i found the right words for it so maybe maybe you'd be curious to hear if you would think it's similar um i kind of called stylistically i thought the game was like a space western in some ways i don't know how accurate that is I more or less said this kind of reminds me of Trigun in some ways. And then so I was like, what is Trigun? It's a space Western. I guess I'm going to call it that. I never found a better word for it. <laughs> um, so I didn't know if you also like if you had like a better idea of of like tonally what the game was uh, overall. If there's like a, a set of words you think kind of sum that up or a specific style. So I think it's going for lots of different things. Like I think that um like the first level and Wakel, 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 mm-hmm. Wakel, you got it. <laughs> um, the first, the first level and Wakel, like, really do feel like that sort of like modern, like space western. Wakel really looks like a space western sort of character. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a good term, and like you're fighting like weird aliens, this landscape. But then, like, you get to the the ruins level. That's like all like the water area and things. It's like 
this doesn't seem very space westerny when you're infiltrating the secret base like that doesn't feel very space westerny like i feel yeah. like it's going for lots of very different styles and genres between each level basically yeah like um, each level yeah. and each character like you know wakel and set sata Steer Harkavis. Steer. <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying your last name too, but I mean, apparently Harkavis is a type of gun. If you've learned, <laughs> so. if you've gone and learned the name, you should just keep it all. But Steer, like she feels like a little bit more like a modernish anime. Like she's more from like post Evangelion, whereas Wakel is more like mm-hmm. pre Evangelion in design. And then you've got like Khan is like you said like more eighties ish sort of anime, like. There are lots of very different things going on aesthetically in this game that makes it hard to pin down a tone. But its music is beautiful Konami rocking. That is the yeah. aesthetic of the game. It is just great rock. I, I'm i somebody who can't talk about music because I don't know anything about music other than, man, I like that song kind of thing. It's hard to <laughs> but... talk about it. But what I love is like Gun Gage has a slightly slower pace than a lot of like great 2D action games. Mm-hmm. But the music is scored like it's one of the most frenetic action games from like the 2D era. And sometimes, as you mentioned in your review, like you're listening to this like intense, amazing music while just like walking down a corridor trying to find a computer to unlock the security system with. And it's like yeah, it's so inappropriate. The- and it's just like, I love it. I love how like <laughs> quiet and mysterious this moment could have been that they could have like try to like push their like story they sort of ignore a little bit more with like a great dramatic moment but no just like it's very cool music gotta have it yeah. all the time like it's very arcadey music as well yeah and i'm, I'm actually because the the composer is the same as the um really popular castle whoever i'm blanking on the name michiru yamane oh really the name? um yeah so it's actually two composers and unfortunately i can't remember the other composer right now because they're not much of a I haven't seen much of their credits, basically. Uh, but yeah, it's like it's a very different style than what I would expect from them. But I mean, I'm, I'm really only familiar with their stuff from Castlevania. So so it's interesting to see them be able to go out of that, you know, very specific. I don't know what you'd call Castlevania music. Gothic music. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, like, if you um, think about like um, Dracula X on PC Engine and things like they do get like really rockish, I guess, too. like. True. Yeah. In- Thinking of some of them, like, I guess I can see where you would be able to go from there to here and it'd be like a smooth transition. Yeah, I, it's, I think it was, I'm trying to remember, this was, this would be post Symphony of the Night at this point. So. Yeah, um, Symphony of the Night but, was 1996, 7? Yeah, 1997, this is 1999. I haven't played the original PCN version of Rondo of Blood. I've only played the uh, PSP remake, the, I think it's Dracula X Chronicles, I think it's called. And I can't remember what the music sounds like. I, w- I would think they've probably reworked it quite a bit for that release, though, since that was pretty much completely overhauled. And you didn't unlock so, the emulated version in that collection? I did, but I didn't play it. <laughs> I, it's on my list. It's on my list. I picked it up on PS4 recently, um, along with Symphony of the Night, because I I need to go back to Symphony of the Night and... Uh, revisit that game it's i was i talked to you a little bit before the podcast with like a link to the past being kind of like one of my least favorite zeldas because it's kind of like the stock format and then nothing else with it because it kind of set that in stone uh i'm very simpler with symphony of the night i feel like where it's like this is the stock format so like everything that came after it to me is always just better 
And so I need to really revisit Civic the Night and know for sure if that's how I feel about it. <laughs> but um, but yeah, Rondo of Blood is on that collection. So I felt the same about Symphony of the Night for a long time myself, actually. And I was only <laughs> replaying it like a few years ago. That I'm like, actually, I do get this and I respect this a lot more than I had in my previous attempts. So hopefully you'll get to understand the true joy of it. I'm sure I'll have a fun time with it. I, I it's it's going to be more of like what makes this distinct. Sometimes when I go back to that stuff, it, I something clicks. But uh, sometimes it just is like, oh, yeah, that was that was Metroidvania for sure. Every other game is Metroidvania now. So it's like it's not a fault of the game. It's just the fault of the context of the game yep. in a modern day in a lot of ways. So but yeah, this uh, the team that worked on Gun Gage actually um, was well, not the team that worked on Gun Gage. I shouldn't say that. But the, the studio uh, to- or Comedy Computer Entertainment Tokyo actually uh, is the same studio that worked on um, Lament of Innocence and and Curse of Darkness, which I tried to look into see if there was any kind of like staff overlap or anything like that. Um, but unfortunately, I did not see much of that. There is some like artists and stuff that ended up getting shared between them and somebody or people who worked on like specific character designs. Uh, I think each person, each character has their own character designer. If you like in the credits, each person has like a, a listed person who worked on them. It's, it's I think that was kind of interesting. I don't know how often that approach is taken um, in game design. Uh, yeah. Where it's just like, hey, one person's in in control of this one character kind of thing. It it does depend on the games quite a lot. I know there are like a number of games that do do that, but it's more when a bit like this, they're like going for like very different things. And I know like Xenoblade Two commissioned like a lot of unique artists to yeah get things. And in Gacha games, it all seems pretty common to like. You know, we want a new character. We're going to get this artist to do it that isn't part of our usual team. But for this era, I think it's pretty because the credits, like, it's almost the first thing in the credits, like this character by this person planning, yeah, and this character by this. Like, that's very early for that sort of thing, I think. And I feel like with gotcha games, it's almost like a necessity more than like a choice because there's so many characters. You can't obviously have one person working on. Like you don't want to just contract one person to work on your entire cast of characters in some ways. Um, and so I feel like with, with gun gauge, cause it is such a small tight cast. It's just four characters. It's not like, you know, 300 plus, you know, things it, it, it is, it is a bit more distinct in that regard. Yeah. Um, and it adds to like that beautiful mishmash that we've talked about multiple times here. Like everyone is just very distinct. The UIs yeah. is distinct. And their design designers are also distinct. And somehow it just it does manage to be cohesive. It does feel like it all fits together, even though it really is not all together. Yeah. So Rowan, I have to ask you. Um, in my video, I said I think you could maybe play Gun Gauge. It's probably a good alright game to play. Do you, is that also your feelings or do you have a more stronger feeling for or against playing Gun Gage? I think that if you want to understand in an enjoyable way what the PS1 is like all about, I think that like grabbing a JRPG and Gun Gage will have you set. Like if you want the condensed, this is the PS1 experience of the time, mm-hmm. that'll do you. Like gotcha. Gun Gage is really playable by today's standards, but is still like distinct and in the mindset of that era. Mm. 
and it's an easy play. It's good fun, but it encapsulates like that weird PS one sort of figuring things out sort of mindset that makes the PS one a really interesting console. And I think, and it's short. Look, yeah. yeah. And I think for looking back at games, it's nice to sort of have these like games that you can just be like, just play this and you'll have maybe not the best idea of everything, but it'll give you like, it's a nice window. And I think it's one of the best into that time. Like when playing it for this, I was like, yeah, I remember all these like different experiences from this time that I maybe wouldn't go back and play anymore. Unlike gun gauge, but they're there and like, they are similar in senses. Well, cool. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think that's like, probably a more detailed answer than what I gave in the review. So that, that is helpful. I'm glad. <laughs> I think I was kind of wish, wishy-washy on it. Cause, uh, to be fair, I think it's very easy to be wishy-washy on gun gauge. Like it is, I, at the time, I think it would have been like a very fair, like seven out of 10. Mm-hmm. And you know, over time, like that sort of gets magnified a bit. Like it yeah, was average yeah. then it's sort of, sort of average now, but I think it's average in like the exact best way. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rowan, one thing I want to do with uh, people coming on the podcast is give uh, give you a, a platform to talk about a game that you don't get to talk about very often, something you want people to know about. So uh, I was wondering if you have brought a game here today to discuss. So recently I've gotten really into looking at the Pico 8. Do you know anything about this? This is the line of Game Boy Advance games that were by students, No, correct? No. Okay, no, never mind. The, the Pico 8 <laughs> is a fantasy console that does not exist, that has okay. a software development kit and things that is designed for like very easy development of like short form games that sort of have like yes. an 8-bit-ish aesthetic. So it has lots of like set limitations on how it functions to encourage mm-hmm. like developers to make like cool little interesting things. And it's very fun just looking at what people are making because it's a very like non-intimidating development environment. So it's very mm-hmm. good for like prototyping. Anyway, there's lots of very cool little games. They all play in your browser. The guy, um, Celeste, was originally one of yes, these games yes, yes. and then made into a more expanded version. I've been having far too much fun with a demake of A Hat in Time. Oh, interesting. For the Pico 8. It's just a very simple platform with like a very good grappling hook. And I can't imagine many people would have like gone and looked it up, but I'll give you a link to put in the show notes later. But a hat on time, a deem a Pico 8 D make is a very excellent, very short time that I think is worth tinkering with. And Pico 8 in general is just like a really fun experience of like experiencing like 90s shareware culture. Again, mm-hmm. like when you go to a supermarket and like buy a CD of a hundred games or something, like it evokes that feeling of like PC nostalgia for me. Gotcha. And uh, like, is it like a more dynamic grapple hook, or is it like a like a stiff one? Like, it's a very dynamic grappling hook, so it's um, very elastic. So if you launch it while going down, you'll like fall with your momentum, and if you fall very far, when you bounce up, you'll go like very high up in things. Is so this it's just a, the Umihara yeah. Kawase game? No, it's not, but like <laughs> <Okay>. it is. <laughs> it's I didn't appreciate I did not get along as much as I would have liked with the most recent Umihara Kawase game. So it Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's only a few like this game is only like 20 minutes long, but it filled a niche that I was not satisfied with in the new game. So that's my strong praise for it. 
for like a game jam demake. And it, this is a free thing, or yeah, it's a free thing. You can play it in browser. Okay. Um, you can find it on okay. itch.io. Again, we'll give you a link for the show notes. Cool. And let's play with that and play with like other Pico Eight stuff. There's so much. It's all good. People upload it for browser based play. It's a great little way to experiment with lots of different little cool, interesting games. Cool. Yeah, I haven't tried a tat in time yet, so so maybe I should start with the demake and play it the wrong way. Yeah. Of starting with the demake. <laughs> That's how I did a, a link to the past. Start with a link between worlds first and then go to a link to the past. So <laughs> a hat in time is also a great experience. And you should also play that too. But the mm-hmm. demake is great fun. Gotcha. Well, thank you very much for your time, Rowan. Um, so if you want, can you go ahead and uh, uh, plug your podcast and any other projects you're working on? Sure. So I'm one of two hosts for the podcast Platforms and Pitfalls. We're a game design podcast that looks at five games each month to compare and contrast how they all deal with a design idea. As you might have guessed from the Hat and Time thing, I'm very into grappling hooks. One of our favorite episodes mm. is an episode all about grappling hooks, looking at Umihawa Kawase, Bionic Commando, Ocarina of Time, I'm going to forget one of these games, um, Devil May Cry <laughs> 4, and... Devil May Cry has a grappling hook? The gra- the Devil Arm. I don't think I know about this. <laughs> um, okay, grappling, Grappling-like mechanic. Yeah, yeah. And I have actually forgotten the other title, and I can't believe that. Anyway, that's, we, <laughs> that's one of our best episodes, even though I can't remember one of the games for it. But... Give it a listen. We talk about lots of different games. We're very time agnostic. So whether it's new or old, if it's worth talking about for our discussion purposes, we'll include it regardless. And you'll find us on um, idriseffect.net slash platforms and pitfalls. We'll have a link in the show notes, hopefully, for you. Yes, I'll definitely include that as well. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at link 6616. All right, cool. And then so uh, pretty much the normal stuff on this side in terms of, you know, onecontrollerport.com is the website. Also YouTube channel, if you want to follow it there. Um, should be some sort of podcast up this week. I'm recording this ahead of time, so I actually don't know what will be up on the website this week. But there should be some sort of content up on the website Um and then uh, if you haven't watched the Gun Gage video, I'll go ahead and link that as well. So go ahead and, uh, and check that out. Anyways, thank you very much for your time, Rowan. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. And I hope everybody has a great week. Bye. Bye.